what comments do you i know there are some toxic comments some good comments so how do you i know some people can get really offended and be like hey i'm getting toxic comments i don't want to do this what would you say to uh, people who are on instagram want to create a social media how to deal with those kind of comments yeah that's a really good question um i'll tell you a story so it was my first week or two on instagram and i did a post about the hpv vaccine human papilloma virus and it is a vaccine that is recommended in in um young teens tweens and um and it can be a hot topic and i knew it was going to be a hot topic but i i was very very naive and new to to posting about things like this and then one thing led to another and it i actually had a um uh, the term i'm it was it was a like a troll attack, like a coordinated anti-vax attack, where in the time span of a few hours, I had thousands of vitriolic comments. And so it was a group that that targeted the post and then had, you know, an army of people um, rapid fire send these comments. In. So that was my introduction to dealing with. And it was again, I learned very much by doing and um, and so there were other physicians who um, are vocal about vaccines who are on Instagram who caught wind of it um, and there are entire groups out there to help um, physicians being bullied by anti-vaxxers I had no idea I would have never known of the existence of such a thing in my um, you know day academic job um, but there are entire organizations that exist to come and help you um, and so uh, my account was circulated to them. I, then I ended up having all of these other, you know, physicians from around the world commenting positive comments to comment to sort of uh, try and help drown out the negative ones. I had folks from these organizations offering to take my handle and um, help me delete the the you know untoward comments. Um, and and so that I had no idea that you had there was a community out there that you know they basically said it can be very traumatizing and after an hour or two of doing it, you, your thumbs get tired. And, um, and so people offer to actually take your handle for you and take care and help take care of your account. Um, and since then, I've actually, I've, I've helped and been part of this group. Um, so it's called Shots Heard Around the World. And, and so when other folks are, are having such attacks, um, we're able to show up and, and just post positive comments. But so that's my personal story and that was my introduction to all of this. But I think that if you're on social media, you know, you, you're not there to be in an echo chamber. I will say that Instagram is more echo chamber-ish than Twitter. Um, I think you get a lot more uh, reach and dialogue across, you know, sides on, on places like Twitter that move faster and are shorter. And, um, and so you sort of know your audience and you sort of know where you're posting certain things. Um, and so being prepared of, you know, when you are posting something that is hot button um, topic to be prepared is important. But, you know, we're not, I think most people understand in healthcare when you're trying to educate, you don't want to just be speaking in an echo chamber. You want to be reaching people and you want to dialogue. You just have to be able to see through who's there to actually dialogue and learn and listen and, um, and be respectful, even if they don't, you know, even if they disagree or even if you disagree versus who, you know, who is uh, there to goad you um, and to 
kind of keep at you and and to make you feel you know uncomfortable and and then start to and then it can turn nasty so um there are all these limits there are all these uh tools within these platforms to restrict users to block users you can turn off comments on a post that you're just done with and you don't feel like it you know that it's helping anybody um, and so there are all these different tools. And so being aware of these tools and having a healthy sense of boundaries for yourself as a healthcare provider when you are engaging on social media and knowing what your boundaries are is, you know, so all of that is kind of goes into how I think you should manage dealing with negative comments. Um, it's, it's actually not that, it's not that common. Most people who send negative comments um, do it in, in direct messages. So it's not public and it's, you know, it's very easy to just ignore. And I think you have to have a thick skin. You have to ignore, you have to know what your boundaries are in terms of who you want to reach and engage with and who, you know, you, you don't have to obviously reach and engage with everyone. And you certainly don't have to reach and engage with anyone who's bullying you, which unfortunately happens to um, healthcare professionals online all the time. Thank you so much. That's a very informational. Uh, answer and uh, I agree like there's uh, widespread bullying and there are always positive and negatives and bullying is unfortunately one of the negative things and uh, um, this answer has been very informational uh, and I feel like your contents are very fun and educational can you talk about how uh, how you create these contents and how do you decide which content to post that's the easy part because I'm passionate about all things adolescent health. So um, it's funny, people do ask me that a lot. Like, how do you know what to talk about or what to post about? And, and I feel like if, um, I feel like the answer is for me very simple. It's just what I'm passionate about. It's, what I, it's what's buzzing. It's what I'm hearing from patients or what I'm hearing from um, other folks in my field or I respond to things that are in the media right now um, and then provide content related to, you know, whatever might be timely. So, you know, we have healthcare promotion months like this was January, a cervical cancer prevention month. And, and so you can, ta you can create content around, you know, nationally re recognized um, health promotion campaigns. You can create content around media. So, you know, if something is popular in, a TV show that came out that gets said about something that you know that relates to adolescent health, or, um, or you know, I can I can sort of bridge on that. But um, the content part of it for me is is pretty simple. It's really what in the moment feels important um, in my clinical practice and my you know in educating and in working and connecting with um, you know other health professionals professionals as well as uh, as well as pa parents as well as teens. I don't feel, you know, I, it's different when you're um, just there to educate and to connect versus if you're there as a business or as, um, you know, as a private practice or um, as a, a healthcare system, those are totally different. Those, you know, you, you post, you have to be on the platform posting regularly um, and your content really has to basically speak to your audience. So you really have to know who your audience is. For me, I, as my audience grew, I, ke I kept having to kind of look at the analytics and look to see, and by asking questions, kind of gauging to see who, um, who is in my audience. And that also helps me gauge what content they might appreciate more of. 
Um, and sometimes, you know, I, sometimes I don't care and it's something that I want to I want to say because I'm using my voice and I'm using my expertise. And so sometimes I know it's not going to land well, but um, it doesn't matter because I think it's important anyway. So it, it's very, you know, how you decide which content to post really depends on who your why, why you're there and who you are, um, whether you're promoting something, whether you're trying to sell something or, um, uh, you know, whether it be yourself or, or whatnot. So um, so a little difficult to answer, but but I do think that that when if it does come easy, then you know that you have you know you have a niche of of something to say. Um, I think accounts that tend to do well, at least on Instagram, are are accounts that do have like a niche and and they really you know are focused. And so if it's kind of all over the place, it might be difficult for some people to understand what you're about. Um, and make a quick decision on, on whether to keep following you. Thank you so much. Uh, regarding your answer, uh, you jump from zero to 23,000 over a year, right? Like it's been a year since you started the Instagram account. And you mentioned about uh, you analyze your audience and you create post based. So how do you analyze the audience? Yeah, so all of these platforms have um, analytic tools built in. And so once once you're not using them on a personal, private, protected mode, so for Instagram, they have a um, business version and a creator version. I use the creator version. And you can, um, they tell you, you can actually look up to see the demographics by gender, by age, by um, what time folks are most active. Um, and so you can get, you know, basics that way. Um, but then I also poll my audience and, and I ask questions to see who people are and I see um, and I see the comments that I'm getting. And so I can I have a sense of whether the comments that I'm getting are, uh, you know, hi, I'm a therapist or hi, I'm a school counselor or hi, I'm a teacher or, you know, hi, I have two kids that are this age um, or hi, I'm, you know, I'm in pediatrics or I'm, uh, I have a lot of um, pre-med students who, you know, are just kind of curious about what is adolescent medicine and what is pediatrics. Um, and so, uh, so just by engaging with your audience, you have a sense of who they are. So by putting polls and questions out there. All right. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things is about uh, when you create a post, have you been in a situation where you thought, oh, I shouldn't have posted this. I think I should delete this post. Have you been in a situation like that? Yeah, definitely. I, um, I posted, I mean, yeah, that happens all the time because oh, it depends. I mean, the, the hesitancy of, you know, maybe there's an error in there and you're like, well, that's not good. I want to change it. Um, or maybe um, it wasn't the right time to post it. Uh, and, you know, there are some times are better than others or, um, and so there could be, there's, I think many reasons why you might feel hesitant about a post that you have done, but um, but you are able to delete posts and, and repost at a different time if if that is something that you want to do. Um, I had a post on um, on way on on different um, different tidbits on talking to children about sex. So that's something that is uh, you know a little more of a. I knew it was going to be a hot topic. I, I I wanted to post at a time that I would be available to deal. Um, and respond to comments and requests for more and education and things. Um, and I can't, I'm trying to remember exactly why I had to delete it immediately. I, oh, I, I had used the, so 
there are some hashtags on um, Instagram that are um, not favorable and not in use. Some people will say they're banned, but they, um, they and I had accidentally used one of these, these hashtags and I can't remember what it was. But for example, the hashtag teen, um, I learned the hard way is not one that is supported by Instagram because it um, got usurped in a negative way. And so the, the community of people who were following that hashtag were using it and not in a great way. Um, and so, but I didn't know that because I didn't, I'm, you know, I'm just, I didn't know everything I needed to know about Instagram. And so it's one of those things that you learn by seeing that a post does terribly and you don't know why. And then you kind of read a little bit. And, um, and so I think it was one of those situations where I used a, a post about, um, or I had used a, a hashtag, perhaps it was sex positive, I can't remember, but whatever it was, um, there are some hashtags that just end up getting used in ways that um, do not promote uh, you know, healthier or safe content. Um, and Instagram flags it and then shuts it down. And, um, and so little things like that you learn along the way. But, um, and those could be, that, that was a reason why I pulled it uh, and then reposted it a week later. But these are just the fun little things of learning as you go. Um, you know, obviously when you start to make content and you put any effort into it, you want it to reach who, um, you want it to reach your audience. The problem with these social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook is you don't own your audience. Um, it's all within the platform. And so it can be, frustrating at times to um, be at the mercy of who the algorithm wants to show your work to. And so that's a limitation of the of you of health education on this platform is is your reach. Um, I have been successful. It's been under a year. I think I started it started tinkering in February maybe of last year. And um, and I think that I'm not really sure what what led to this this big of a um, this big of an audience, but I do think that I happened to be providing health content that was um, especially timely because teens were going through a hard time, were are going through a hard time during this pandemic, and I um, am providing content that um, there aren't very many other people doing. So there's a lot of parenting and pedi pediatric support for babies uh, and toddlers and there's just not as much for um, teenagers you have uh, and so I think I, I was I I found a space for myself that that wasn't previously inhabited and um, and a need for that you know the audience had that need and so I think that is why it took off um, as well as of course I try to be as helpful as I can be. I totally agree your posts are like I like the way that it's focused for teenagers, which I have never seen before, and they're very informational. Um, and also, it's also interesting how you talked about hashtags. I don't think many people are aware of how careful they have to be when they assign hashtags to their posts. So this kind of helps um, uh, the listeners in like to be more careful when they put hashtags for different posts. And uh, thank you so much for that information. Um, so my next question would be, uh, what advice would you give to physicians that would like to start um, an Instagram account? Uh, so it's funny you ask that. I, I've had many physicians ask me that question um, who see my work on Instagram. And they, um, I think they're intrigued. And 
I was similarly intrigued by another pediatrician who had started an Instagram page who had actually worked at Montefiore um, and left the institution a few years ago. So I knew her personally. And then I saw her do this and I and I had I had been following her and then I asked her a little bit about it, a few questions here and there. And she was really encouraging about, you know, Hina, there's nobody doing teen health content. Um, you really, really need to come and and share you know, evidence-based and, and, and real information with people. And so her encouragement actually was very meaningful for me because it was someone that I knew, it was someone that I knew doing it, and it made it a little more tangible than these nebulous people who were, you know, medical quote-unquote influencers online. Um, and so the advice that I would give is, you know, if, if you have the bug, if you have the itch, if you see, if you feel like it would be something fun, um, just to give it a try. There's no, you know, the, you can learn a lot by doing and you can just jump in and start. Um, alternatively, there's a lot of support too. There is a um, organization called Social Media Docs or Somi Docs. Um, there is, there are Facebook groups that exist just to support healthcare professionals who are um, engaging in social media. And, um, and so there's a lot there, you know, there are, of course, there are consultants, there are people who are out there that, that sell their knowledge about building social media accounts and mentor people in doing so. Um, and so there, you know, if you feel like you have want more handholding, there are free and paid, I think, help out there to help guide you if that is something that, that you're interested in. And, you know, of course, people who are doing it as a business, like they, um, are almost always using uh, skilled help on on creating their social media platforms, and so that's all available and out there. It's its own, you know, it's its own sort of market. Um, but the way I did it was, you know, no training, nothing. I just jumped in. Oh, training—that's the other thing. So um, your professional societies likely do have training in media communications. Um, most of your institutions likely have a PR office. And, um, and so you can lean on the resources that you have as well through your professional societies and through your own institutions to learn best practices and to learn tips and things like that. Um, I think folks, I think PR people are, um, are happy and, and, and um, you know, wanna work collaboratively with you if, if you're interested in, in getting content out and promoting your institutions. So, and of course, doing it in, in a way that conforms to their social media policies. And so um, I would, you know, if you are, if you're, if you're in the cadre of listeners who are in an institution, it's very important to know what your social media policy is. And your, the departments may have that, but for sure the, your um, PR uh, uh, teams will have that information for you. So you, could, you should always start from knowing what your, what your policies are. Um, and then just connecting, you know, I would follow people who are doing what you think you might want to be doing and kind of just observing and engaging with them, making a connection with them. Um, and then just jumping in, you know, I've heard that, especially about Twitter, you just really have to get, just, just start. Um, and, and so that once you just kind of get over the hurdle of creating your, um, your account name or your handle, uh, then, and then just sort of starting. Um, so that's a little bit vague advice, but, uh, but I think that, you know, leaning on resources that you do have near you, local to you, and then also realizing that there, there's a whole world of, of people, 
of healthcare professionals who are interested in media communications. Um, and so I, again, I had no idea that the American Academy of Pediatrics had you know, CME training courses on media communications. I maybe had vaguely heard of such a thing, but it just wasn't on my radar before. And, um, and so in a couple of weekends, I'm taking a two-day course on um, a media training course. And, uh, and so, so these things do exist and help is out there if you really are interested. Yeah, thank you so much. It's quite interesting to know that, that you get CME credits for social media training. Kind of points how healthcare is uh, pointing towards social media to disseminate more information, reliable information out there. So um, I think that would be helpful for uh, physicians who are, would like to start an Instagram account. So coming, you mentioned about uh, promoters, um, like Instagram influencers. What, what's your take on promoting services or products uh, on, social, on social media that focused on healthcare information um, dissemination? Oh, I'm not sure I understand your question. Do you mean products like, like, just say like, or like, or about the, about products that are, um, uh, like say, uh, someone come with a drug, say, Hey, uh, uh, this drug or Hey, this services would be helpful. Uh, that, that kind of like, uh, puts it in a gray area or would the, would it be like the listen, uh, the, your audience would think, would this, is this an, uh, that would push the audience in thinking that this is a, a platform that kind of promotes products or, you right. know, yeah. Yeah, so I think that, you know, um, I, I think this goes back to, again, knowing your institution's social media policy and having your own, your own sort of internal um, social media policy. So, you know, something to give thought to maybe before or maybe maybe once you've dipped your toes in the waters of social media um, because you're unlikely to be approached for you know product things um, or paid partnerships when you're a smaller account but so if you get into it and you're you're a growing account um, yes you will get you know just like in academics when you get these emails from these um, you know sometimes predatory and sometimes other just, open access journals asking you for contributions or um, asking you to try this drug or write about this or do that. It's similar on, they find you online and they will, and folks will ask you to promote this, that, or the other. Um, and if you have your own internal policy of things that you, um, you know, are an automatic, no, I'm not, I'm just not even gonna open that message. It's just an automatic delete category of, of products or, or services. Um, and then, you know, so for me, that's most things, to be honest, um, things that I might at least look and read is if it is a, a product that serves teen health or a service that serves teens, um, you know, I get I like a nonprofit that uh, is doing something helpful for teenagers in their community, I will definitely read that um, and just see what they're asking and what they're, you know, what they're asking, what they're offering. Um, oftentimes, uh, so so it is a very personal thing. You also want to know that if you develop paid partnerships with folks, then um, that is related to your field of practice, you know, then that becomes, that can be a conflict of interest that you then have to carry with you and disclose anytime you do anything. And, um, and so the, those are, but those are all internal decisions that I think an individual has to make before, ideally before they set out to have this open platform. Um, and, 
And that way you can always return to whatever your initial code was. But but things might change. You know, there are a lot of people that as they, their accounts get bigger, they get asked for this, that, and the other. So I'll give you the example of um, Scrubs companies, right? So there's uh, these Scrub companies like Figs and um, Janu and other ones. They, they very um, appropriately engage with healthcare people who are on social media because they are users of their product. Um, and so there are a lot of people who speak for these companies or have paid partnerships with these companies. And, and as long as it is transparent, you know, you know, you know what they're doing, um, you know, that they are aligned with that company, they have no issue, like, you know, that, that they have to themselves feel like they're aligned with those companies to have those paid partnerships. And so it is, I think it is somewhere, a place where bias can be introduced. It is a place that um, transparency is important. I, I'm not 100% against it. I'm not 100% for it. I, you know, when I've had, personally, when I've had some companies um, offer uh, or ask about partnerships, I say, well, how about we just give away some things? And I'm happy to, to not take money from you, but to just do a giveaway of your product, um, especially, and actually really only if I believe in their product. So I'm not going to, um, uh, you know, be like a billboard for, for any any old company that does something with kids or teens. But, um, you know, if it's a product I use anyway, if it's a product where um, it, sometimes it's the other way around, where I've reached out to a company and said, you know, this is a really cool idea that you have. Um, I would love to give away some if you'd be interested in it, just to raise awareness that this product exists. Um, and so, and you can say that when you are posting about it. I reached out to this company. This is not an ad, or this is an ad. I have a paid partnership. I make, you know, a small amount, and this is what I'm going to do with that money. Or so there are ways to be really, really transparent. And I think authenticity is king on social media, and people like to know. Um, they just like to know what, uh, you know, what the what your connections is, are with that company. Um, so it's a little more nuanced, but I, hopefully that gives you some sense of the thought process that at least I went through. No, yes, that wonderfully explains. Um, so how do you think social media can be used for clinical research? Ah, so I'm glad you asked this one. So this is something that I'm a newer interest of mine. Um, I think that especially in adolescent medicine, there have been um, a lot of folks have used social media for recruitment of um, participants and studies, whether it be surveys or whether it be, you know, come to this place for a group session or um, for something in person. Um, so like a flyer for, for, for an event. Um, but there, but recruitment, especially of youth um, in the community, you know, community now includes online. And so I think that uh, I think that that is a that has already been done in adolescent medicine for a while now, and I'm seeing it more and more in other groups. We were talking about Facebook groups. You know, there uh, a very prominent Facebook group is is called Physician Moms Group. It's you know it's massive, and um, it actually has a, a little research board on it now, and they actually are able to survey their um, audience and they put out research from surveying their audience, and and they do it you know, in a very um, thoughtful way. And they've had things, you know, letters published in um, JAMA and New England Journal of Medicine. So I think there's a, a much bigger acceptance of social media as a recruitment tool, um, as long as you have some clarity on who 
it reached uh, and who responded. Um, but I think that, um, so that's, that's one area that I think that for recruitment purposes of, you know, of very specific populations of people or hard to reach populations of people or populations of people that are just there like teens. Um, I think that can be, that can definitely be huge. I, I probably in the last year with, with the pandemic, I've seen so many um, surveys for physicians to fill out through social media. So related to burnout or related to parenting and, and balancing your life, work-life balance um, uh, related to other COVID, you know, cur- COVID and um, uh, care of COVID issues. So I definitely feel like recruitment is is a huge way that social media can be involved in research. And there are other things, you know, there are social media, there are other technologies like apps um, that that use social media platforms and and um, that that can also be used that that people do other kind of tech so um, that have social media components to them in that in that some of the data is shared amongst a group of people. Um, but those are, I think, are, are very interesting and clever closed systems, more closed systems that could be used for, um, for research. And then, you know, there are, 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 are newer things. I, I have an interest in education as well. I'm um, a fellowship director here at our institution at Montefiore. And, um, and I think that there are really interesting educational interventions and, um, designs that you can explore using social media. As we have seen in the last year, it sort of explode as a place where trainees especially are exchanging information and learning and being mentored and making connections. All right, thank you so much. How do you see social media evolving in the next two, three years? It's always evolving. Um, I don't know that I'm clairvoyant enough about this uh, as a as I still consider myself quite an, a novice in um, in social media professionally so I don't know but I will say that I have been playing with clubhouse which is the new kid on the block um, and it is the audio only um, uh, social media tool where you can have these rooms of selected people um, really open to anybody who wants to be in the be listening and then selected people are invited to speak. Um, and I, I like that, you know, I like it when new things come around. It's fun to be on the ground floor of, of new things like that. And so um, I don't know how popular, how, you know, where it's going to go or how popular it's going to get, but it is a new kid on the block. And I think that it has this very interesting human connection um, because it, you, because it's hearing voices and um, and not the screen, which I think people are, you know, eyes are tired, people are getting Zoom headaches. And so it has this, it's just really well timed with this pandemic of us being tired of our screens. And, um, you know, like we're recording a podcast now, podcasts are very popular and the audio part of it is very, very popular. I think places, the video sharing is also gonna be bigger. So, you know, places like YouTube and, uh, and places that share video will will continue to grow because people really are looking more to um, those platforms to watch videos and to learn even than um, than other traditional platforms. Uh, I agree. So, uh, thank you so much. Um, I agree that the social media is evolving and uh, it's quite interesting how you mentioned about Clubhouse, uh, like 
that might be the next Facebook or Instagram, who knows, because mm-hmm. uh, it's always evolving. Uh, what do you think the risks and benefits of managing a social media? What should providers understand about privacy issues? So privacy issues are probably the most important thing for those folks who are actively you know, taking care of patients. You have to, you obviously don't want to violate um, patients. You don't want to be sharing protected health information. And I, and it takes, there's nuance and it takes a little bit of understanding because, and it's something that it's helpful to teach trainees as well coming in so that they get this information from the beginning. Um, but you know, some people think, well, if I don't use their name, it's okay. And actually that's not true. If it, they, it, they, you know, their, that story can be identified by you, the provider's name and your institution where you work. And so um, you'll never see me saying, I saw a patient last week and this is, you know, and uh, like, that just won't be there. It'll be, it'll be an amalgam of cases or I've heard and seen around the states through my listserv sort of thing um, that this is what we're hearing. And, uh, and so that's, I think, the number one mistake is that people think, oh, if I don't, don't use their name, I can still talk about a case that I saw last week or a year ago. Um, and, and, and that is very dicey. And so I'm not a lawyer. And I, and I, you know, I think that you, it is very important to know your policies at your institution. I know I've said that a few times, but that I probably cannot overstate that. If you are jumping into social media, you should have your, your institution's policy at the ready and make sure and put any disclaimers that you need to put and anything to make yourself you know, as transparent as possible kind of available on your account. Uh, thank you again, Dr. Telly, for taking the time to be with us today. This was a great conversation. Um, I would like to encourage our listeners who is interested in learning more about adolescent health to follow her account, Teen Health Talk, which is on Instagram. And that concludes our podcast. Thank you, Dr. Telly. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone.